The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Thanks, Mark. Kind words of yours. Uh, Grant didn't tell me the dress code, so uh, I wore my Sunday's best. Uh, next time, I think I'll be a little bit more relaxed. Well, my wife and I are just delighted to be here with you guys this, uh, this morning, and uh, we see that you guys are all about praising God, and that is amazing, and we thank God for that. We thank God for you. I thank God for Grant. I know Grant through a preaching cohort uh, that Cole Huffman um, holds, and we pretty much critique one another's sermons over this past year, and it's been hard and tough because they tell you what you do right and what you do wrong, uh, what you do ugly and what you do uh, bad. So we... Um, we, we, it's been a good time, it's been a fruitful time, and it's also allowed me uh, to connect with other pastors. And, and so me being up here is uh, just the fruit of us bonding as brothers over uh, critiquing one another. So it is good to be here with y'all. My wife Serena is just sitting here in the front, my son is in the nursery, so y'all taking care of my family very well. So thank you very much. Uh, I'm not going to take up too much of your time, I want to dive right into the text. We'll be in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be going through verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, a, is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, and have, and, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will return and will turn away from, the listening, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am pouring, I am, I have, for I am already pouring, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on, the, on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Timothy, just a little bit, is a gentleman who is young, and Paul is writing to him. Paul is writing right out of Rome. He is on his way to the Austinian way, which is to his death, and Paul is writing with a sense of urgency. There's a solemn charge right at the beginning to let Timothy know the seriousness. But who is Timothy? Timothy is a young, fearful, and timid man who his grandmother and his mother pretty much raised him up to be a man of God. But he has ministered or has been ministering in one of the most tough, toughest places 
in Ephesus. And so now what is Paul trying to do? He's trying to encourage him. He's trying to hand off the responsibility of the gospel ministry to Timothy. And so this young lad who even in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he says that don't let anyone talk down on you because of your youth. This young lad has responsibilities that he feels that some folks don't think that he needs that. Some folks will speak down about him. But we're talking about a guy who has been trained and has been mentored, who has been discipled under Paul, and he is encouraging him to press on. And so that's where we are. And as he's writing to him, he's not telling him just to press on, but he's telling him a key thing, which in our society I think is very prevalent today. Preach the word. Preach the word. And so that's what we'll be talking about this morning, preaching the word. All right? Let me pray for our time. Father, I bless and thank you for your mercy and grace. Lord, I thank you for how good you've been to each of us. Lord, I pray that you continue to show your faithfulness and help me, Lord, to hide beneath your cross. Lord, I pray that your people hear your word, not hear me, and not hear anything that I'm trying to persuade them to do. Lord, I pray that they hear a divine revelation from you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. We say amen. So a guy rides 500 miles. And I want to ask you, can you imagine riding 500 miles? Can you imagine going from the East Coast to the West Coast? You've gone three to four days without sleep, no showers, eating the bare necessities. You only have what you, um, what you can hold on your makeshift trailer because you're carrying this unpleasant stint that... Uh, makes people not want to be around you for a very long time. This makeshift trailer is uh, put together on the back of this mongoose, and on the back of the mongoose, guess what it says? It says, fat guy across America. I just want to know, can you imagine riding 500 miles across America? I sure can. But Eric Heights a young man who is 560 pounds jumps on a bike because his life came to a demoralizing halt. He was in an unhealthy position. His lifestyle was all about eating the wrong things and being lazy and lethargic. And he was depressed and he was on the verge of losing his marriage. In fact, his wife had already left him because this has been going on for years. So what Eric Heights thought, he said that if I can ride 500 miles, I know I sure can't walk it. I'll do it. And so Eric Heights jumps on his mongoose, put the makeshift trailer on the back, all to say that I am doing this in the name of my love for my wife. I'm doing this to take back my marriage. I'm doing this to take back my health. I am proclaiming a message as I go across America. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell us this morning that it's not about the makeshift trailer. It's not about the 560 pounds. It's, it's not about what he's, the unpleasant smell or the lack of sleep. What it's about is a journey. And a journey that he will proclaim the message to win back his wife, to win back his health, to win back his family. We too have a message. And that's what Timothy, that's what Paul tells Timothy. 
Our message is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Our message is to tell the truth in a hostile society who resists truth, who resists the word of God. That is our duty. Our duty is to take our journey, our path in which God has called us to proclaim his word. But the thing is, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we're much like Timothy. We're timid and fearful. We think that we're inadequate and and we don't have the ability to preach the word or tell the truth. In fact, we don't want to offend our coworkers or neighbors. We don't want to offend one another in speaking in truth. So what do we do? We hold back. We don't do it. But I want us to take a moment to allow our eyes to see that how when we are living in a culture who resists truth, We need to understand how to preach it. And Paul tells Timothy to be aware of where he is. And you let your eyes to drift back to chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. He's telling him that you're in a culture that people who are lovers of pleasure, who are lovers of everything else rather than God, we live in that society. People want the things of their heart. They want the instant gratification. But why is that? It's simple. It is because they are hopeless and resist the truth. I'm not saying that everyone who resists truth are in this bad position. I'm saying we all yearn for hope. We all yearn for what we were singing today to one day see our king, the one who will come back at the consummation of all things to rescue us. That is what we're longing for. So when Paul is talking to, a, talking to Timothy, he says they're hopeless and they resist truth. This is the reason you ought to preach the word of God. We live in a society that is oblivious to their need for the gospel. Amen. Our young people are inundated with social media and, and all kinds of things. We are overtaken and overdrawn by political things and uh, uh, what's going on in our, in our neighborhoods and what's going on in our lives or trying to, to get the next thing because we're trying to feel something that only Christ can do. And so the point is that if we hunger, if people hunger and thirst after hope, if they hunger for truth, if, if, they, if, they, if they do those things, what is our job? Our job is to preach it by preaching the word to quench their thirst, by telling them of the, the living water, to, to satisfy their hunger by telling them about someone who is the bread of life. That is our job. And so this morning, as we go through this, brothers and sisters, I want to say that our job is to do just like Eric Heitz, is to proclaim something boldly, and that is the truth of Jesus Christ. Three points. The first one is uh, uh, two Ps, and I always call it the upside-down P, okay? Preach truth, verses 1 through five, 4. Verse 5, personify truth, and that upside-down P is believe truth. Verses 6 through 8. So let's look at verse 1, where Paul is preaching or writing to Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. The point here is that he's not trying to ground what he's saying by his own authority. He's not trying to persuade Timothy by, 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 the, by his own words. It is by the authority of God. It is by the authority of Jesus Christ in which he wants Timothy to understand the serious charges he's passing on this responsibility. 
But also there's an incentive. And one scholar says that the incentive is, is that as you go, as you preach the gospel, one day you will have all things in Christ. You will be fulfilled. So that's the point. Jesus will return to judge. He will bring his kingdom to bear. So, but there are two reasons why Paul talks to Timothy and gives this powerful charge. First, Timothy is what? He's timid and fearful. And so he wants him to understand that though that you labor in an intense pagan culture, I want you to speak the truth. And so Paul is encouraging him as a man on borrowed time to take hold of the gospel ministry. But the second reason is because Timothy is to continue in preaching the word. Look at verses 3 and uh, look at verses 14 and 15 in uh, chapter 3. What does he tell him? What does he encourage him? He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from, uh, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy understood the word. He was taught the word. He was raised up understanding the Old Testament writings. And so this wasn't something that he, uh, that, 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 that he was to make up. No, he had an excellent understanding. Side note. The side note is this. It is paramount for us when we understand what the word or the truth is, when we preach it, we know that there are various, various gospels that are out there. And we see the gospel of prosperity. We see the gospel of health and wealth. We see the gospel of, uh, uh, of, of an extreme uh, license. We see the gospel of legalism. We see various different gospels that are out there. But what we understand when we say preach the word or preach truth, what we're saying is preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the one that can only save us from the grip of sin to liberate us to walk in righteousness. That is the gospel message. That is the truth that we adhere to. And so in light of this, what is he trying to tell him is to declare this, to to walk in this, not only when it's convenient. He says, do it when it's inconvenient. In season, be ready in season and out of season. That is important because, again, when we are timid, when we do fall into our own sinful nature or our own inadequacies, what happens is we lack trying to preach truth. We don't want to do it in, at our schools because, you know, they may have a rule. We, we don't want to encourage people in our works because we don't want to offend our clients. We don't want to do any of that. But what, what I'm encouraging us today is if God is giving you the opportunity to preach truth to someone who is hopeless, to someone who is broken and hurting, he's opening a door for you to give truth to people who need it. And so that's what, that's what we see. Be prepared when it's opportune and inopportunity. This is the, the idea that Paul is trying to create for them or uh, for, for Timothy. But how are we to preach truth in a hopeless and hostile uh, society? Paul tells Timothy three things, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We're going to define those three things. Reprove is to, it means to convict those who are lost in their sin, to convince them of the truth. That is because of their itching ears. That's what he says in the text, that they will go on trying to accumulate teachers of their own. So when he reproves them, they cannot bear the truth because of their itching ears, so they need to hear it because they're spiritually blind. 
And this gospel truth is the one, again, that liberates them from their blindness, that gives them sight so they can see. But then he also says rebuke. Rebuke is powerful. We see that in the gospels, Jesus rebukes the demons. Jesus rebukes Peter, says, get behind thee, Satan. So rebuke is a powerful word in which we understand, but it means to confront a fellow believer in Christ by candidly instructing them to turn away from listening to, uh, candidly instructing them not to turn away from listening to the gospel truth, but to turn away from their sins. And we see in verse four, those who have turned away may have been believers at one point in time, but they have been deceived by false teachers. Deceived by false teachers. We too can be deceived and by the, they've engaged in mythical acts. They also have uh, gone on and tried to formulate their own gospels. But we see this, but the last one is exhort. Exhort. Exhort is to encourage believers not to fall into their temptation. To understand that, oh, there may be outcasts, that you continue to press on. They may be tormented by the fears of life. Paul is encouraging him to exhort them by teaching the word, by God's scriptures, not by our own cliches, not by our own persuasive words, but by the word of God. But also, when you look at encouragement, it helps us in terms of community. In a body of believers who have uh, come together, a lot of times we are afraid to encourage each other. We're afraid to preach truth to one another. But the beauty of it is, if you have the opportunity to encourage your brother and sister in the faith, do so. If you have the opportunity to see someone who is doing, who you want to encourage in their giftings, you want to encourage in their, uh, in their ability to do something, please, because what does it do? It allows them to understand that you are affirmed by a body of believers who are your family. And then being affirmed by your family encourages you in your walk with Christ. And back to what we see that the Holy Spirit is the one that cultivates the heart. It's not our old eloquent speech. It's not what we, what we say. And that's what Paul is making the point of. So when, we continue, when I continue to say preach the word, it is to preach truth in the sense that it proclaims the gospel. But there's doctrinal, uh, doc, doctrinal instruction, meaning that we also need to be taught the tenets of faith. So you proclaim truth by telling people about Jesus, but you also tell one another about the basic essentials of our faith. That's important for us. In fact, friends, if we preach this message, we will see that it gives us gospel clarity. It, 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 asks, it requires us to be diligent in teaching the whole counsel. Back up in, verse, in, in, in chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 17, is teaching the whole counsel of God. That is what he is saying. It is profitable for, 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 what, for the basic needs. And so now... We understand that preaching this truth is, is important. And a lot of people have very important messages. A guy named Parker Mantell, who is a native Memphian, had an important message. He stood before thousands at Indiana University. And this student commencement address for him was, as some would say, is, I, I can be no more certain. I mean, the, for, for, for some would say that it was very powerful. He says this to his uh, colleagues. He said, I can be no more certain that this room, there are thousands of people who are better at speaking than me. But I can be no more certain that the message that I have for them or for you 
is a very important message. And his message was to encourage them in the life or in a society where they knew that they were going out of college with maybe a lot of student loan debt, with uh, maybe not, not having the right major at the right time. But what he was trying to tell them is that I, Parker Mantell, have a disability. And my disability is a speech impediment. But yet, as he goes through his resume of who he's worked for throughout his time, it was very encouraging because he said that if disease, were, if, if doubt were a disease, the cure would have been confidence. For him, it was about having confidence in a society to where they would say, because of your disability, you could not work in the political work, arena. Because of your, because of what you, uh, because of what you've uh, uh, accomplished, that that may not be as good because you have a flaw. And brothers and sisters, each of us have a flaw, but we also have a message. So though that we're broken, it doesn't stop us from preaching the gospel. Though that we're broken, it doesn't stop us from preaching truth, for giving folks hope. And so when we see those of our friends, I know I've seen it personally, who are going through divorces, who are struggling with their faith because they don't know if God is with them through troubling times, through the loss of loved ones, you know that that is an area where you ought to preach truth, where you ought to, to tell them uh, uh, how good God is to you. This is our job. This is what we are required. I was on a flight back to Memphis a couple weeks ago, and uh, well, a couple months ago, and, and, and I was sitting on a plane, and this guy sitting next to me was quite restless. He was fidgeting all over the place, and so I wanted to go to sleep. However, I said, you know what? This may be a time for me to introduce myself and get to know him. Now, I'm an extrovert, so it works for me. Right? So I, I, I ask him his name and get to know him, and we have conversation. And as we're, con as we're having conversation, he finds out that I'm a pastor. And so the conversation kind of got short after a while. There was a moment of silence, and at that moment of silence, he said, you know what? How did you find out your calling? I, 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 he said, how do you find your purpose in life? Well, he didn't understand, or he, nor did he know I had a gospel presentation packed nice and tightly for him through my testimony, right? But what I am saying, the point here is that God gives us opportunities to preach the gospel in our areas, or in our lives, or where we can. And so that is looking for gospel conversation, looking for those things are important for us. But and not only are we to preach truth, but we are to personify truth. And this reminds us of the profound words of Francis of Assisi. He says this, proclaim and preach the gospel, but use words if necessary. It's not saying that Francis of Assisi never used words, but it's saying in our next point in verse 5 that he personified truth. He embodied truth, and that is what we ought to do. See, Paul is saying, Timothy, but it's for you in, the, in, in, in verse 5 at the beginning. But as for you, separating you, separating Timothy from the culture that he is in, this is what you ought to do. Refute false teaching. Refute false teaching. Be different in a culture that is hostile towards the gospel. Paul reiterates his charge to Timothy, saying, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do, at, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. This reminds me of the cliche phrase, practice what you preach, right? 
And that's what we ought to do. To be sober-minded is to have a clear mind. The NIV says that to keep your head in all situations. So it is definitely we will get frustrated when people resist the gospel, when people push back on us, when, we, when people tell us that we're wrong. We will get frustrated with what Paul is saying. Be sober-minded. Keep your mind in all things. Paul points Timothy to have self-control when he encounters this. When he sees heretical practices, not to go off at the handle to be angry and frustrated, but to show the love of Christ through that. The pastor once said to me that the harder the times, the deafer the ears. The louder and the clearer should the message be. And that's encouraging. But he also tells Timothy to endure suffering because Paul is witnessing it firsthand, locked in a prison, behind prison uh, uh, bars, and it can, could, not, could not have freedom, and he was on his way to death. But this death was, was, was completely okay because Paul understood that he died a long time ago by giving his life to Christ. And so he's telling Timothy to endure suffering, faithfully preach the gospel, refuse those who make you feel lonely, make you feel culturally awkward, and who persecute you, because that's what I have done. But he also says this, do the work of an evangelist. Now, there's no office necessarily from a biblical perspective that, that the work of evangelists is, is, uh, is said to be, but we are all evangelists. It's not just for the preacher. It's not just for the elders or for the deacons. It is for all of us. It is for all of God's people to preach truth, to proclaim his word, to know that those who need it are anemic to the gospel, and so it is our duty to pump into them truth. Pump into them truth. And so he tells them that this is, he tells him this is important. You ought to personify truth. Now, some of y'all are saying, Mike, you know what? You're in full-time ministry. You can preach all the truth you want. You can do that. And I want to say that is, that, that's, that's a deception. That's a deception. If you, no matter if you're retired or you're the first grader, our duty is to personify truth. So if you're, an adop- if you're a doctor, you may think that, oh, my only job, or if you're a nurse, my only job is to take care of my patients. But no, your job is to lead them to the great physician. If you are a teacher, a science teacher, and you are going through astrology, astrology and solar systems and astronomy and solar systems and all of that, you may think that my only job is to tell them what is in this textbook. But no, your job is to tell them about the bright and morning star. Your job is to tell them about the creator of all things. How do you do that? You do that in the way that personifies it. Personifies it. You may think that my job is just to be a delivery guy, to be a customer service rep. You may think that your job is just to be a student on the college campus. But no, your job is to personify truth. So whether you are in a fraternity or sorority, whether you are, you, you, maybe, maybe you're, you're working at a job and you're your own business owner or you're a manager of people, you know how you personify truth. You treat people with love. You treat people with kindness. You have self-control and you exude gentleness. I'm talking about Genesis, I mean Galatians 5 and 22. The fruits of the Spirit allow us to personify truth. So in doing so, we understand that we, our lives are greater than ourselves. I, you use your sphere of influence. So if you are an older individual who here, who's here and you know that people come to you for professional advice, 
then use that moment to not just give them professional advice, but find out where they are in their spiritual life. Encourage them to, to just not pursue accomplishments and, and goals, but you pursue them in terms of having gospel conversations. One brother, one brother, brother in Christ said to me, he said, Michael, you know why I do what I do? He says, my boss has multiple homes. He says that he has various cars. He has become extremely wealthy. He says, but that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do to have a platform, to use it as a platform for the gospel. That is why we are who we are. That is why we ought to personify truth. We ought to preach truth because we live again in a society that needs it. But now we get to the upside down P, right? We get to the upside down P is we need to believe truth. <clears throat> so being evangelist is a sacrifice. It is to live a life that is sacrificial, but we ought to believe it. So we talked about personified truth, believe, uh, preach truth, but now it's believing truth. We see that in verses six through eight. Uh, and a good story was uh, one friend told me that was in a, uh, a Wall Street Journal, and y'all may know it, a, a lady who was a pharmaceutical saleswoman. She lived a very simple life. Her name was Grace Groner. Grace Groner donated $7 million to a local college. I don't think y'all heard me. Grace Groner donated $7 million to a local college. Now, that would have been a struggle for me. That $7 million would have went to my family or some investments or something of that, same thing, something of that nature. But she donated it, and this, she lived a very simple life saying that she was 100 years old. She only lived in a one-bedroom apartment in a college in Lake Forest, Illinois. She brought all of her clothes at rummage sales. She never had a car. She didn't have anything but her life, but herself. But the funny thing was that this wasn't dreadful or displeasing to her. It would have been to some of us maybe. But she found fulfillment in the fact that what she was able to give sacrificially was what she believed in. And that was education for the young adults that were in her area. Now, brothers and sisters, I, I, I say when Paul speaks in verse 6 that, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He's saying, I have bared the cross. I have already taken the cross upon my shoulder, and my race is becoming, is drawing near. And I can only imagine that Paul was not just speaking out of some, just out of emotion, but Paul was saying that I live my life, and I, my faith is assured in Christ. And having to understand that, he knows that death is imminent, but it is, it is me, when, I'm at, when I see Christ, it will fulfill me. Death is imminent, but when I see Christ, it will fulfill me. So when we look at verse 7, three concise phrases that Paul expresses to demonstrate his beliefs. He says he, he has fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. Paul doesn't boast about himself. He doesn't boast or puff himself up. But what the apostle, the apostle is saying is that I have diligently proclaimed the gospel. And so my life is on the line sacrificially for something that I truly believe in. Why does Paul do this? Because he believes in truth. And we see in verse 8 that Paul is encouraging Tim Timothy out of emotion and out of, uh, I would just say, theological understanding that the consummation will draw near. 
That this place, we, we don't want to have the escapist mindset, so don't, don't hear me, don't hear what I'm not saying when I'm about to say this, but this place is not necessarily the end. Christ will come back to renew all things. And when he does, it will be us as well. The Genesis 1 narrative of being created in his image, in his likeness, as Colossians 3 says, we will be renewed in that. So if we really preach truth, if we really personify truth, then we will believe it by living sacrificial lives. I'll leave you guys with this, that when you think about the go statements in the Bible, go ye therefore, or go preach the gospel, the point is this, it's not that you're going because you're equipped well, it's going because of who you know. One pastor said, if you would put the ghost statements on, all the, on, 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 the, uh, on the doors of the exit signs to encourage people, they would go simply because understanding that if I give people truth, I'm not here to make the world a better place. I'm here to liberate people from their sin. I'm here to help those that are spiritually blind see. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your mercy and grace. I thank you, Lord, that you've been good, with the, good to us. God, that your gospel is being lived out in our lives. Your gospel is being preached, personified, and believed in. God, I pray that we look past our inadequacies, our fears, and timidity. God, I pray that we look toward you and we are encouraged and not discouraged, that we entrust our lives with you. Father, we bless and thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.